Greetings from the Classic City. I am Jamie Cheek. This is A View from the Couch. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. And today we are going to do our preview of the big Georgia-Clemson game coming up on Saturday night. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Jeremy Timmerman that dropped yesterday. Uh, It was great to talk to Jeremy. Great to get some perspective of what's going on in the world of the Clemson Tigers. And today, we're going to focus in on Georgia. We're going to break down the game from the Georgia perspective. We're going to give you, obviously, a prediction for the game. But then we're also going to kind of take a break in the middle and do our viewing guide, which I know a lot of people really enjoy listening to the viewing guide and kind of planning their Saturday around that. So, again, thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. I hope you enjoy it. Let's get going. All right, we're going to get started with first down, and we are going to talk about the quarterback comparison. There's been a lot of talk coming into this game about these two quarterbacks, both of whom had moments where they played really well last year, but there's a lot of questions. There's there's not a lot of certainty around each of these guys, and what I think is kind of funny about the perception of these two guys coming into the game is the fact that Everybody seems to be pretty confident that they know who DJ is, but they are very skeptical about JT. And a lot of that has to do with what we saw out of those two players last year, a very small sample size for JT Daniels, but an even smaller sample size for DJ. So let's make one thing very clear. There is no comparison in the amount of experience that these two quarterbacks bring into the game on Saturday night. JT Daniels has made 16 starts in his career. Now, only four at Georgia, obviously, but he had 12 starts at USC. In those 16 starts, his teams are 10 and 6. He's completed 62% of his passes for about 4,100 yards. 25 touchdowns, 13 interceptions in his career. Now, while that is by no means uh the most experience you know you've ever seen in a quarterback compare that to dj who has made two starts he's completed 67 percent of his passes which is higher than daniels only 914 yards five touchdowns no picks in the two games that dj started last year because trevor lawrence was out with COVID. You had the game on October 31st against Boston College where he was 30 of 41, 342 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, and he ran for another touchdown. A week later on the road at Notre Dame, that's the game everybody remembers, 29 for 44, so that's 66%, two touchdowns, again, no interceptions, and another rushing touchdown. But in double overtime, Clemson lost that game. So... When people talk about DJ, what they are thinking about is that game against Notre Dame. They're thinking about the fact that without Trevor Lawrence against the team that ended up being in the playoff, this quarterback, DJ Ua Ungalale, was able to get his team to double overtime on the road in South Bend, not an easy place to play. And he did all those things. But it's just funny to me that everybody seems really comfortable with the guy that has started two games in his career and not nearly as comfortable with the guy who started 16. The other thing is everybody wants to talk about the level of competition. Now, I am not going to try to sit here and tell you that JT has played anybody 
since coming to Georgia that has been at Notre Dame's level. However, I will at least make the argument that Cincinnati was a, a, a very good team. He didn't have his best game against Cincinnati, but Georgia won the game. And DJ had a very nice game against Notre Dame, but Clemson lost the game. So the only thing I'm trying to make a point here on first down is that you have a lot of people coming into this game really questioning JT Daniels, and I think maybe we should be asking a few more questions about DJ. The narrative is that Daniels is an unknown and that DJ is an established guy, but that is a perception that's just incorrect based on the actual facts surrounding the situation. Now, let me be very clear about the quarterbacks in this game. I believe both will play well. I don't believe either of these guys will be the reason that this game is won or lost. I honestly believe that both of these guys will play well, but there will be other factors that end up being uh, the deciding factor in this game. Now, when you're the quarterback, all eyes are on you. And I think that's what we saw that Daniels really embraced. I talked about it with Jeremy yesterday. JT Daniels does not seem like the spotlight the circumstances are too big for him. He's talked about his excitement ahead of this Clemson game. He's talked about the fact that he's very nervous going into this Clemson game. So I think it's really, really interesting. He seems to have that personality type that you want for your guy, but you despise in every other guy. DJ, I, I can't say that I know too much about him. I haven't heard a lot from him. I haven't read a whole lot about him. You know, Jeremy was talking about it on the podcast yesterday. The man has a cannon for a right arm. And so he is obviously physically gifted. But there is a difference between the kind of quarterback that DJ is and the kind of quarterback that Clemson had last year who's now starting for the Jaguars and Trevor Lawrence. So they're not the same guy. They're similar. They both have a lot of physical skills, but they're different skills. So there's a transition that Clemson's offense is going to be going you know, through, and they're playing a very good Georgia defense in the first game with DJ at the helm. Now, do I think that's going to you know, trip up Clemson and, and their offense? No, but I think it's a factor. And, and, and I think that's what I want to focus in on today is we – you may think I'm, th I'm talking about really minor details, and are these things really that important? I think they are. I think this game is so close. These teams are so talented. The little things are going to make big differences, and, and the little things could add up to being the biggest thing. And I really believe that the perception of these quarterbacks, and the more we hear about this game over the next couple of days, we're just going to keep hearing it and hearing it and hearing it, you know, questions about JT Daniels. I don't believe there are any questions about JT Daniels. Now, are there questions about the, the the proven receivers that Clemson has versus the proven receivers that Georgia has? Absolutely. You know, if we start seeing drops or things like that, could that affect the Georgia receiving core? Absolutely. There's some injuries on the Georgia receiving core. When we talk about Don Blaylock not playing, the Darnell Washington maybe not playing. Obviously, George Pickens not playing. There's a lot of talent that's not going to be playing for Georgia, where it seems like at this point Clemson is healthy, or at least relatively healthy when you compare them to Georgia. So I'm not saying the offenses will produce at the same rate or that the offenses will be that, – that they'll be the same in – the Georgia offense is going to match the Clemson offense productivity-wise, stylistically, anything like that. But Todd Munkin has his guy coming back. 
the guy that he found at the end of last year, the guy that he seemed the most comfortable calling plays for, and that the offense actually seemed to function with. So I don't know that you would really doubt whether or not JT Daniels can run this offense. It's his offense. He's ready to go. And I think Georgia is going to be very surprising offensively. If Kirby takes the reins off of this offense, I think you're going to see them not only play really well, but I think you're going to see them be a lot more aggressive. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to throw the ball 70 times, but they're going to be aggressive in their play calling. It's going to be a go-for-it kind of offense. You're going to see, yes, maybe a a more aggressive passing game, but I think you're also going to see a little more creativity out of the running game because the reality is, as much as we're talking about quarterbacks and first down is a quarterback breakdown, when you kind of take a step back and you look at these offenses as a, as a whole, Clemson has the edge at wide receiver just because of the experience they're bringing back. Georgia, I believe, has the edge at running back. And when you talk about the offensive line, I think they're kind of similar. They have a lot of talent, but m- not a lot of production as a unit. And there's a lot of questions around both offensive lines. I think the Georgia running game and the the (laughs) dynamic things we may see out of that running game, especially, especially if all of the backs are healthy. And, you know, it's Georgia, it's Kirby. We're not going to know if they're all healthy. If they're all out there, when you, if you got Milton and McIntosh and Samir White and James Cook, if all of those guys are playing, Georgia has the ability to have a fresh running back in at the first snap of the game and in the middle of the fourth quarter. And Georgia has the ability to put more than one of those guys on the field at the same time. So don't worry if you're a Georgia fan about JT Daniels. That's my point in first down. Don't worry about JT Daniels. There's other things you may have to worry about. He is not one of those things. Ironically, we're going to move from the most important position on the field to what many people think might be, you know, one of the more overlooked positions on the field. I want to talk about the specialists in second down here. So we'll start with Clemson because obviously Georgia fans that listen to this are going to be less familiar with them. B.T. Potter is the place kicker for Clemson. He was 32 of 45 or he is 32 of 45 in his career uh, attempting field goals. That's 71 percent. Pretty solid. In 2020. He had an interesting dynamic that I want to kind of dig into a little bit. Potter was five for five in field goals from 20 to 29 yards. He was two of three, 50 plus. He was 11 of 15, so the most inconsistent in the 30 to 49 yard field goal range. So a lot of the times you would kind of expect a field goal kicker to be less accurate the farther out they are. And for some reason, and and, Fans that have watched football for a long time, there's something about the angle. Sometimes you can be too close. And so sometimes you see guys miss really short field goals because um, I I don't know why. But you see that a little more often than you think. So that's something to keep an eye out on. If if Clemson's in a situation where they're having to, you know, kick a a 35 or a 40-yard field goal, that may be the most precarious spot on the field for B.T. Potter uh, to be kicking. The real thing I want to talk about is this. Will Spires, the senior punter, he averages 41.4 yards per punt in his career. Uh, Last year, 2020, 44 yards uh, per punt. So pretty solid. 
here's the thing that I thought was the most interesting. In 2020, he was two of three passing, and he had a rush attempt, which means there were four attempts, fake punt attempts, run by Dabo Sweeney and Clemson in the 2020 season. Now, that is a yo. That's a keep an eye out on that. Keep your mind on that when you're watching the game. Georgia has to be smart on special teams. They cannot. They cannot allow Clemson to steal first down, stay on the field, get the Georgia defense back out on the field by faking a punt. If I was able to spend just a few minutes doing some research and realize that Clemson's run some fakes, you know Kirby Smart's aware of it. The key in this situation is whether or not the Georgia coaches can get it on the Georgia players' minds so when the bright lights are on, under the lights in Charlotte, that the guys are aware. Because it doesn't take much to just take your eyes off the play for a half second to get downfield to block, to try to set up that big return, to try to do too much instead of doing your job. Now, when we talk about the specialists, I will go ahead and tell you, I think Georgia has a advantage. I don't think it's a huge advantage, but I do think Georgia has an advantage when it comes to kicking and punting. Georgia's kicker, Jack Pudzlesny, 81%, 13 of 16 last year. Uh, he was 2 for 2 from 20 to 29. He was 3 for 3 from 50 plus. But just like his counterpart from Clemson, his most, uh, all three of his missed field goals were from 30 to 49 yards. So it will be interesting to see if Budzlesny has any issues. Uh, you know, it's an outdoor field, it's a different field. I know Georgia fans have a lot of bad memories from trying to kick in Jacksonville. The wind swirls there a lot more than it does uh, in, in Charlotte, but the point is, is it's not necessarily a field you're used to kicking on a lot. The biggest weapon that Georgia may have in this game, we talked about it in relation to the Arkansas game last year, Jake Camarda, he averages 45.5 yards per punt for his career. In 2020, it was a career high, 46.6 yards per punt. Jake Camarda is an absolute weapon. And we talked about in one of the preview episodes the fact that Kirby Smart said they're trying to dial him back a little bit. There's been times in fall camp where he's actually outkicked his coverage because he's kicked it too far. Field position is, is still a factor. Even in the modern game, you, you can't start every possession inside your own 10 or inside your own 15 and expect to be able to drive on a team like Georgia or conversely Clemson, you're not going 90 yards every time. You need field position. And if Georgia's offense or when Georgia's offense isn't able to go down and put points on the board, Kamara is going to be a huge weapon to try to pin DJ and that offense back. Because the one thing I feel good about is Georgia's ability to stop the run for Clemson. Jeremy and I talked about that. He didn't really push back on it. I'm not saying that Clemson you know, will, will run for negative yardage or anything ridiculous like that, but DJ's going to have to win this game. Now, I think he might be capable of winning the game, but I don't think you have to worry about one of these Clemson backs going off for 100 or 150 yards. Even though they have some talented guys, Georgia's run defense has been spectacular under Kirby Smart. Last year, it was, I don't know what a better word than spe spectacular is, but it was that. Think of your own word. I can't do all the work for you, people. Georgia's going to be able to stop the run. So Georgia should have the opportunity to play field position a little bit when the time comes. And Jake Kamara is going to be an absolute huge edge in this game for the Dogs.
We're going to try something a little bit different here for the first week. We'll see how it goes. Let me know what you think. We may uh, adjust it moving forward. But we want to take a break here in the middle uh, of doing four downs. Let's talk about our viewing guide. This is your guide to how to plan the most effective first week of college football viewing from your couch, from my couch to yours. Here is your viewing guide. We're going to start tonight, tonight, as this episode is dropping on Thursday. Seven o'clock tonight, you've got Boise State at the University of Central Florida, UCF, the 2018 or 2017 uh, national champion. Just ask them, they'll tell you. That game is at seven o'clock tonight on ESPN. Um, why should you care about this game? Well, I'm going to give you a couple reasons. One, this is a game between two teams that could potentially be the New Year Six crasher, right? It was Cincinnati last year. It was UCF the couple years before that. So one of these two teams could theoretically end up playing in the New Year's Six. So that's one reason to watch. I think the more interesting reason to watch is Gus Malzahn. It's going to be his first game at UCF. So to see what Malzahn can do, obviously got fired from Auburn last year. Interesting to see how he looks in his first game in Orlando. So that's at 7 o'clock. That kind of whets the appetite a little bit and leads you in to a little bit of a more important game at 8 o'clock when the number four ranked Ohio State Buckeyes go on the road to Minnesota, and that's on Big Fox, your big national Fox uh, broadcast at 8 p.m. Ryan Day uh, has never lost a Big Ten game as he enters, I believe, what is his third season as the Buckeyes head coach, the four-time defending Big Ten champion Ohio State Buckeyes, the runner-up last year. Ohio State comes into this season with a new quarterback. Obviously, Justin Fields has moved on. He will be the quarterback for the Chicago Bears at some point this year. Um, but C.J. Stroud is the guy who has been announced as the starting quarterback for Ohio State. It'll be very interesting to see how he plays. And look, no matter what you might think of Minnesota, they were really good two years ago. They were down last year. Um, but this is a... Big Ten, a conference road game in the first game of the season, that's interesting, okay? So at 8 o'clock on Big Fox, you get Ohio State and Minnesota. The other game that I would tell you to keep an eye on just because it's going to be interesting, Bowling Green on the road in Knoxville at Tennessee on the SEC Network at 8 o'clock tomorrow or tonight. First of all, Tennessee, then I'm not gonna I'm, I'm picking games. We're not talking spread right now. Tennessee is a 35-point favorite. I don't think Tennessee should be a 35-point favorite if they were playing a high school team, okay? With the way they've played the last couple of years. But that's that's a lot of points for Josh Heupel's men in his first game in Knoxville at home. Tennessee has been a dumpster fire for a very long time. But it's just a couple years ago when Tennessee lost at home to Georgia State. Now, I don't think Bowling Green is going to beat Tennessee, but it it's going to be interesting to see what Tennessee looks like against an obvious inferior opponent here. They need to look fantastic. I truly believe this could be the high water mark of the season. I'm not saying they're going to go 1 and 11, but what I am saying is I could see this being a night where Tennessee fans actually feel good for just a little while. You put up a lot of points. The team looks competent. You're at home. It's a brand new start to a season, a brand new head coach. All of that stuff from the past just kind of melts away. 
I could see where this would all of a sudden turn out to be something that's, wow, you leave Neyland Stadium tomorrow night feeling pretty good. And I don't know how many times Tennessee's going to have that feeling. So this really could be the high watermark for them. On Friday night, there's only one game I think you would really want to keep an eye on. There's a lot of games happening, but only one that I think is worth telling you about. That 6 p.m., number 10 North Carolina travels on the road to Lane Stadium to take on Virginia Tech. Like I said, 6 o'clock kickoff. That intrigues me as somebody who doesn't really want to stay up to 11, 11.30 to watch football, uh, you know, three or four days in a row. So ESPN, 6 o'clock tomorrow night, North Carolina on the road at Virginia Tech. North Carolina, very good season last year. Uh, missed out on a potential opportunity to play in the ACC championship game because of an inexplicable loss uh, to to Florida State. They probably still wouldn't have gotten in. It was always going to be Clemson and Notre Dame. But uh, North Carolina was right there. They played a, a really interesting game. Um, against Texas A&M in the New Year Six. And I believe that North Carolina is the biggest threat to Clemson in the ACC. So it's important not only for North Carolina to go on the road and win this game, obviously, but to really do it in style. And when you look at the team on the other side of the field, this is a Justin Fuente Virginia Tech team that needs to have a really good season or else Justin Fuente may not be their head coach anymore. He is one of the guys and probably the main guy in the ACC that I look at and say, this seat is going to get really hot, really fast, if they don't play really well, really early. Lane Stadium is going to be rocking on a Friday night, and it's not an easy place to play ever. But when it's the opening game of the season, again, it's a conference game week one. And I I just don't think we can overstate how rare that is in, in a sense, but also how difficult it is to go on the road in conference in the first game of the year. Everything's usually not clicking right away, so it's going to be very, very interesting to see how that goes. Let's move on to the main course, right? Let's let, let let's talk about it. Saturday, obviously game day is going to be in Charlotte. Uh, so I, if I were you, I'd at least kind of peek in on it. I, I'll just go ahead and confess, I can't watch three hours of game day. Uh, it's just... It, it's just a little too much for me. I enjoy a lot of the commentary afterward, not so much all the talk before. Uh, but the pick stuff at the beginning is, or at the end of game day is very interesting. So let's talk about the noon time slot. I'm going to give you two games, but really it's one. Number 19, Penn State, on the road at number 12, Wisconsin. Have you seen a theme here? Have you seen how many conference games we have week one? This is an insanely good conference game to be happening week one. Penn State, probably the the you know the favorite to be the number two team in the East, right behind Ohio State, the biggest threat in the division um, to Ohio State, uh, on the road at Wisconsin, who may be the biggest threat in the Big Ten to Ohio State. So this is these are two Big Ten contenders who are going to be kicking off on Big Noon on Fox, right after game day ends. So this is this is a big game and. It, to me, it's a really big game for Wisconsin. As I look down their schedule, I genuinely believe if Wisconsin can win this game, there is a pretty good chance that they are going to be 12-0 and playing Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship game in early December, which means they are going to be a win away potentially from playing in the playoff. So I think this could be really big for Wisconsin. I think, you know, where that team has been over the last few years, kind of knocking on the door, but in some ways – 
underwhelming a little bit. They got off to a really, really good start last year and then just kind of fell off. But Graham Mertz, their quarterback, got COVID and missed some time. And then, every, you know, and COVID kind of ravaged everybody last year. But it seemed to have a really tough um, effect during the season on Wisconsin. Penn State, on the other hand, was ravaged before the season even started. They had a ton of opt-outs, a couple of guys that got injured early and weren't able to play. By the time the season ended, Wisconsin was a dumpster fire. Penn State actually started looking a little bit like a competent team. So without all of that extra stuff or as, as much of that extra stuff going on, I think this is one of the more intriguing games we're going to see all day on Saturday, and we get it at noon on Fox. Now, when the Wisconsin-Penn State game goes to commercial, I'd click it over and check out number two Oklahoma at Tulane. That game's going to be on ABC. I, I don't think this is going to be a competitive game, but I think there is some human interest going on here. This game was supposed to be at Tulane in Louisiana. However, due to Hurricane Ida, this game has been moved to be uh, in uh, Oklahoma. So it's going to be not necessarily a home game for Oklahoma, but it's going to be played in Norman. So, I mean, you know, there's going to be a lot more Oklahoma fans there than Tulane fans. So at least something to keep an eye on when the Penn State-Wisconsin games at halftime or, or whatever. 3.30 in the afternoon, we have, you know, the 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 co-main event, the, the undercard, whatever you want to call it. Number one, Alabama will play number 14, Miami, on ABC. That is in Dallas at Jerry World, uh, which Alabama has opened the season there so many times. They're just going to start calling Dallas Tuscaloosa West, I think. Um, he, here's the thing. I, we, we've already talked in this episode about Georgia and about Clemson and about the quarterback battle. I am incredibly intrigued about the quarterbacks that are going to be playing in this game. First of all, let's start with the guy who I, I feel like Derek King has been in college football for 15 to 20 years. This guy has been around forever. He still has eligibility somehow, and he is dynamic. Now, if he is 100%, which it doesn't seem like he is, but if he were at 100%, De'Ara King is the profile that Alabama has traditionally had problems with at the quarterback position. He can run. He's he's a better runner than he is a thrower, but he has that ability to extend plays, and he does have the ability when he does extend those plays to hurt you with his arms and not just his leg, his arms, his arm and not just his legs. So that side of it, Miami is one of those teams that every single year feels like they're right there. They they're supposed to be better maybe than they end up being. At some point, Manny Diaz has to get that program back to where they expect to be, which is competing for ACC championships. Um, maybe that's this year. Maybe maybe we see what I said on the fourth and wrong show would be the most interesting upset that we could possibly get on Saturday. Okay, There is no result that we could see on Saturday that would turn the entire season on its head like seeing Miami beat Alabama. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. So, Bama fans, you can stop, you know, gripping your steering wheels or bite, clenching your teeth. You know, I don't think Alabama's losing this game. But I think Miami might put a little bit of a scare into them for longer than we expect. The really interesting part of this is everybody just assumes the Alabama train is going to just keep on going down that track and not hitting any bumps. There's a lot of assumption about Bryce Young. And listen, by 4.15 on Saturday afternoon, we may all look at it and go, golly, Alabama's done it again. 
It might just be that quick. It might be that obvious, that quick. There's another guy. He's as good as advertised. He's worth all that NIL money. He's going to be great. Alabama's going to keep on chugging along. But we have to see it. And so Bryce Young, he's, we've heard about him for a couple of years. Again, he's got million-dollar NIL deals. Let's see what he does on the field because he may be the guy that breaks NIL for everybody else because if he comes out and he doesn't play well and by the third or fourth week of this season they've gone to another quarterback, he's not giving the money back, folks. And that is why you don't necessarily trust million dollars with a 17, 18, 19, 20-year-old kid. So uh, that game's at 3.30. That is a just make sure you've done whatever chores you might have to do. Find a couch. Watch that game. Now, there is a decent chance that this game gets out of hand. My, that's what Alabama does in these big opening games. So if it does, I, I hope you have the Big Ten Network. I don't have the Big Ten Network, but I hope you do because for some reason, one of the more intriguing games of the day is on the Big Ten Network, who, at least in the south, the southern part of the country, not a lot of people have. Number 17, Indiana, who was kind of the darling of the Big Ten, the team that came out of nowhere last year, is on the road at Iowa, who is the most consistently good but really boring team in college football. So that's number 17, Indiana, on the road at number 18, Iowa. That game is also a 3.30 kickoff. Here's what makes me mad as a fan. West Virginia is at Maryland on ESPN at 3.30. There's people that have children on Maryland's football team that don't want to watch that game. Yet we get that on ESPN and this top 25 matchup, Big Ten conference game, that's pushed off to the Big Ten network. I don't understand it. I don't like it. I would like to have a backup just in case Alabama does Alabama things and blows Miami out of the water. I don't want to be sitting around all afternoon waiting for the Georgia game to start. So hopefully we get a competitive game because for whatever reason, the powers that be in college football programming has decided that nobody needs to watch Indiana and Iowa, even though they do kick off at 3.30 on the Big Ten Network, if you can find that. Maybe you have a satellite, you can point it in the right way, I don't know. The, the one hope we do have is that on 4.30 in the afternoon on Fox, we have what I think will be the biggest upset of the day. Number 23, Louisiana, on the road at Texas. Texas, I believe, is um, it's back. They're back. They're not back. They've been back. They were back. They're not back. We'll see. That game's on Big Fox. This is the first game for Steve Sarkeesian. Texas got rid of Tom Herman after last year because he's what? Didn't make the playoff, essentially, because they were back, but then they haven't been back. Back. Um, I think Louisiana's going to win this game. Louisiana is a good team. They are not a national championship caliber team, but neither is Texas. Texas being ranked 21 has so much more to do with the fact that they are Texas than anything on the football field. They are starting a true freshman at quarterback. They have a brand new head coach. They have a completely new coaching staff. They have a lot of talent for sure. And by the time you're in the middle of the season or toward the end of this season, I think Texas will probably be a pretty good team. I think Indy, or Louisiana is a good team today, and I think they are going to go into Austin and they are going to beat Texas. I'm not saying they're going to beat them by four touchdowns, but Louisiana, I believe, is going to win this game. And that game, 430 on Fox. So if Alabama does Alabama things against Miami, you might have the opportunity to watch an intriguing game uh, at 430 on Fox. We all know the the filet of the night, the, the, the main course, 730, number five Georgia, 
against number three Clemson. That's ABC. This is Kirk Herbstreet, Chris Fowler. They'll get all the bells and whistles on ABC Saturday night game of the week. As I said, game day is there. So you're going to have Lee Corso dangerously like squatting on the side of the field watching, you know, God help. They don't take care of Lee Corso. Protect Lee Corso, please. Don't let, you know, somebody run into him. Um, so that's obviously where I'll be. 7:30 on Saturday night. Uh, but when that game goes to halftime or commercial, or hopefully after a Georgia win, I'm going to flip it over and catch some of the LSU UCLA game that is the nightcap on Fox. That game starts at 8:30, so we should be able to line it up to where, when interesting things are not happening during the Georgia game, you can kind of flip over and, and you know, spe- specifically halftime and when the game's over, you should be able to check out number 16 LSU on the road at UCLA. If you saw any college football last week, you might have seen the fact that Chip Kelly and UCLA played really, really well against a trash Hawaii team. So a lot of people are expecting this to be a competitive game. I think it will be competitive, but I think LSU is going to win. A lot of national pundits think that this is a game that LSU could actually lose. So there's there it is right there. That's enough reason to turn it over to Big Fox when Georgia and Clemson are done. And we're coming down off of that excitement high and hopefully coming down off of a big win for Georgia. You need kind of a 30, 45 minutes, maybe even an hour to decompress and calm yourself down before you can go to sleep. UCLA and LSU should be in the fourth quarter when the Georgia game ends. So that is your viewing guide for this week. Let's pivot back now. Let's go to third down and let's talk about what this game is going to mean for Georgia moving forward for the rest of the season. As we start third down, I really want to just kind of take a moment before this game starts to to talk about what we could see, what what happens next, right? So let's start with the negative because that way we can end on a little bit of a positive note. If Georgia loses this game, the reality for Georgia in the 2021 season is it is not a lost cause. I've seen and heard so many people talk about it over the last few weeks. If Georgia loses to Clemson, runs the table, goes 11-1, and one, plays Alabama or Texas A&M or LSU or whoever comes out of the West, beats them, then they're in the playoff. And I've, I said it with Jeremy. I, I said it a couple of weeks ago on one of the preview episodes. Yes, that could happen. And if Georgia loses on Saturday night, that is what I I hope will happen. But there's no tests on this schedule after Clemson that makes it seem likely that Georgia could turn it around from the beginning of the season to the end of the season and beat an A&M or an Alabama, most likely an Alabama. We all know that. I'm just throwing out the other options, right? So... It's, and, it, and it's not just going to be that Georgia runs the table. I think style is going to matter a lot. I think Georgia's not only going to have to win each game on its schedule after this game if they lose to Clemson. I think they're going to have to be dominant. I think they're going to have to be impressive. And I think they're going to have to do it with offense. I don't think Georgia can win games 24-3 to and get the kind of respect that they're going to need going into that Alabama game to where people are even expecting or kind of contemplating, well, what if Georgia wins, then what, right? So style is going to matter. They're going to have to win. They're going to have to win big. And really, the worst part of this is that if Georgia loses to Clemson on Saturday night, 
for the next three months, or two months, I guess, Georgia fans are going to have to become closeted, closeted, quiet, behind the scenes, subconscious maybe, Florida fans. Because the reality of Florida's schedule is they play LSU and they play Alabama before the cocktail party. So if Florida comes into that game with two SEC losses, they're tainted. Georgia needs Florida to beat Alabama in Gainesville or go on the road and beat LSU in Baton Rouge, go Tigers. Georgia's going to need a good Florida team to beat. Because there's nobody else on this schedule who will have the kind of cachet, who will bring the amount of respect that winning this game against Clemson is going to be. So if Georgia loses to Clemson, Georgia really needs Florida to have a great season and to be really highly ranked. And then Georgia needs to stomp a mud hole in those Gators in Jacksonville to get themselves back to the point of national promise. The other thing about the Florida pieces, if Florida does beat Alabama, then obviously it opens doors up for Georgia, whether the Gators would like to admit that it might help us or not. So a Georgia loss does not mean that all is lost. But what it does mean is that the road, just like we've seen the last few years, it's not an easy road. It's it's a very difficult road. Now, As hard as it might be to come out of this game if you're Georgia after losing to Clemson and then move forward and and have what everybody would consider to be a successful season, as difficult of a task as that may be, the more difficult task may be what if Georgia wins. Let me explain what I'm saying. The pressure that will immediately be put on this Georgia team if they beat Clemson is going to be astronomical. At no point in my lifetime will the program have the level of expectation that they will have Saturday night at 1130 or whenever this game's going to be over. They've never had it in my lifetime. Never. And, and, and I think in reality, we can say college football has changed so much in the last 40 years. This will be the most pressure that is ever on the program because you have gone from the lovable loser, the team that gets so close but heartbreakingly just can't get it done, you go from that team to, oh, you're here now. Now you have to be the man, right? So Georgia, in the entire history of the time that the the University of Georgia has fielded a football team, two times they have gone where they have won all their games in the regular season. Those two times coincidentally have the years uh, the, the the banners are hanging at Sanford Stadium right now, 1946 and 1980. Those are the only two undefeated seasons that Georgia had. Now, they had a couple of other seasons where they didn't lose any games. Georgia had a couple of seasons where they went like 10-0-2 when you used to could tie in college football. But it's been 41 years since 1980. It had been... Now, this is going to trip some people out. It had been 34 years from 1946 to 1980. So we've already surpassed that, right? It's been a long time, guys. And this program, there is there is nothing in Georgia sports, and I, I mean this, which is to say a lot, because Georgia sports, as we all know, can be a little bit of a hot mess at times. There's nothing in Georgia sports that is more wanted, more desired, more universally opined for than a University of Georgia national championship. And if Georgia beats Clemson, then 
listen very closely, the expectation par for the rest of the season would be 12-0 and playing for the SEC championship and ranked one or two at that point in the year. That's the minimum. That's the only thing. You can't exceed those expectations now. The only thing you can do is excel at the very highest level of the sport and meet those expectations. That is a whole different kind of pressure. And it's the kind of pressure that Georgia has never, ever experienced. The, the, the thing you have to understand, no matter what happens on Saturday night, the path may look different. The goal, the expectation for this season does not change. It's playoff or bust for Georgia this year. Anything short of being in the playoff, I don't care if they are a 12-1 and loss in the SEC championship game, Georgia that gets in the playoff. I don't care if they're 13-0, the number one seed in the playoff. It doesn't matter. The expectation for this team, this coach, this year is playoff or bust. And no matter what happens on Saturday night, no matter if you win or no matter if you lose, that's the expectations. So we are going to go from third down. We're going to jump right in. We're going to go to fourth down. And I'm, I'm going for it, guys. We're going to go for it on fourth down. We're going to go to my prediction for this game. Now, I shared on the podcast with Jeremy. I wasn't going to do a prediction on that game, but he asked me, and I, he was on there, so I thought it was nice to answer him. Of the four possibilities, I think my, my top ranked is a Georgia close win then a Clemson close win, a Clemson blowout, and a Georgia blowout being the, the least likely of the four things. Now, let me explain why. I don't think it's likely that there's a blowout in this game at all. But if one of these teams weren't was not going to be ready for prime time, I have a hard time believing it's going to be Clemson. Okay. Now, Clemson has lost some big games in the last couple of years. They lost to what may have been one of the best teams in the history of college football two years ago in the national championship game in LSU. And they got handled pretty soundly by Ohio State uh, in the semifinal last year. So it's not to say that you, you can't beat Clemson and beat them handily. But in this situation, with an entire summer to prepare, I just don't see there being a huge disparity between these two teams talent-wise. And if somebody's going to buckle under the pressure, I just have a hard time thinking that it's going to be Clemson. Now, again, I'm not saying that I think Georgia's going to get blown out. I just think that it's more likely that Georgia gets blown out than they do uh, the blowing out of Clemson. So where I think this is going to go, I think, as I said on the podcast with Jeremy, I I think it kind of starts out a little bit slower. Um, I don't think either team will lead by more than 10 points at any point in this game. And I think it's going to come down to special teams. I talked about special teams earlier in second down. I think Puzlesny, his ability to hit big field goals, he won the Peach Bowl with a kick last year. I think that experience is going to matter. I think it's going to matter that Jake Camarda is going to be a weapon. I don't think Camarda is going to pin Clemson in and keep them off the scoreboard. This game is going to have points, right? But there's going to be key moments where Georgia's going to need to punt and Georgia's going to need to be effective in the punt game. And I think Jake Camarda not only can do that, but I don't think the moment is going to be too big for either one of Georgia's specialists. So I think the special teams are the difference. We're going to go Dogs 34. Clemson 30 and what will be a heart attack inducing game on Saturday night in Charlotte. So that's how I see it going. That's how I hope it goes Saturday night. 
thank you so very much for listening to the podcast. I know the summer and the lead up to the first game can kind of be tedious at times because it feels like we talk and we talk and we talk and we never get there, but we're there now. So thank you so much for sticking with me. We're here in the season. We'll settle into our normal routine of of getting shows out on time. I thought it was really cool that before this first game, we had the opportunity to have the special show yesterday with Jeremy. Obviously, this is the show that we'll continue to kind of tweak and work on. And before I get out today, I I just want to say one thing. Uh, You probably noticed that this episode sounds a little bit different. Hopefully, it sounds a little bit better. I had a friend of mine reach out, Matt Chastain, and and really go above and beyond to help me. He came to the house. He he showed me some things. He kind of talked me through some things on some ways that I could edit and kind of put the show together that would just really, you know, without a whole lot of extra effort, would really up the, pro- the production quality of the show. So I hope you have noticed that today. I'm going to keep getting better at this. I'm going to keep tweaking and playing with it. But I just wanted to say publicly in front of everyone that listens to the podcast, if you enjoy what you hear, Matt Chastain gets all the credit for that because he, he really went out of his way and took some time. And I really appreciate it. I love doing this podcast. I do it for myself honestly, because I have all of this inside and I have to get it out. And so I do the podcast so Amy doesn't go crazy and divorce me because I won't shut up talking about this stuff. So this is an outlet for me. I love doing the research that I put into it. Um, it. It's a huge hobby for me and I really do appreciate it. But as people have started listening to it, I really appreciate the fact that Matt took the time to reach out to help me. Like I said, came to my house, sat with me and explained how to make the program work Uh, the best that it possibly could. So I hope you enjoy the podcast. I hope I'm very excited about what will happen over the next few weeks and months as I get better at producing these shows. Um, And I'm excited for this season. So I think the quality of play on the field for Georgia fans is going to be really good. And I hope uh, on some level that I can, with this podcast, match the quality that we're going to see from the dogs this year. Again, thank you so much to Matt. Thank you for everybody that listens. I love doing this. I'm so glad the season's here. Enjoy the game on Saturday night. As always, go dogs.